Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast, where we talk with thought leaders throughout the advisory industry. We seek to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors that want to fine-tune or grow their businesses while deepening client relationships. So we know that during times of uncertainty, investors rely on their advisors to keep their portfolios on track. Many advisors are also seeking the help of professional investment managers to deliver tested portfolio management for their clients and seeking their guidance in helping keep to keep investors on track. FlexShares has just completed our sixth biennial advisor survey in the last 10 years, in which we seek to understand advisors' attitudes and adoption of third-party money managers for client accounts. Today, we'll be talking with Corey Hofstein, co-founder and chief investment officer of Newfound Research, a quantitative asset manager offering a suite of separately managed accounts and mutual funds to advisor firms and institutional investors. Courier is responsible for portfolio management, investment research, strategy development, and communication of the firm's views to clients. Prior to offering asset management services, Newfound licensed research from the quantitative investment models developed by Corey. At Peak, this research helps steer the tactical allocation decisions for upwards of $10 billion in assets. Corey holds a Master of Science in Computational Finance from Carnegie Mellon University and a Bachelor of Science cum laude from Cornell University. He also has a long-running podcast series of his own that uses a play on the model portfolios he constructs, and it's called Flirting with Models. Today, we'll be talking with Corey about the human side of his job, how his firm supports its advisor clients, and what that's looked like over time, but especially in 2020. Corey, welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Laura, and thank you for such a warm introduction. I will now really have to try my hardest to live up to it. <laughs> I'm not concerned at all. Let's get to it. Corey, throughout this podcast series, we've had a lot of conversations about the impact that a website can have on reaching the right potential clients. And in doing my research for this and, and the other work that we've done together, I visited the Newfound website and it was like nirvana to me. There there it was. It was big and it was bold and it was right in the middle of the home page and impossible to miss. It said, while other asset managers focus on alpha, our first focus is on managing risk. That says a lot to potential investors about what they're going to find at Newfound. And in 2020, I think most of us are all concerned about risk. Maybe we could start there. 
and talk about when the markets hit their lows. What what did you see with your advisors advisor clients? How were they reacting? And did they come to you asking for changes to their investment strategies that they had employed to gain more risk-averse portfolios? You know, I think what made and has made 2020 such a, a unique event in markets is that it wasn't just an isolated market event. While markets were selling off in March and doing so with such incredible velocity, the very lives that advisors were leading were simultaneously changing. Not only were they concerned about their business and the well-being of their clients, but they were concerned about the health of themselves and their family. And so it, I think it made the dynamic of communication very interesting. And at least for us at Newfound, we really wanted to approach that communication with a large degree of empathy and recognize what advisors were going through. And what that ultimately means is the communication of what each advisor needed was very different. There were some advisors who were simply so overwhelmed that they wanted to be left alone. And I think in that case, you you want to leave them alone. You need to give them the time to process. There are other advisors who were really requesting a lot of proactive information, information that could be useful to them in helping them communicate what was unfolding in markets to clients. And then there were advisors who really, I found, just needed someone to talk to. There were a large number of advisors with whom I spent a good deal of time on the phone talking over ideas that almost had nothing to do with the portfolios and mandates that we manage here at Newfound, but there was so much going across the full spectrum of investments at which they oversaw that they were just looking to bounce ideas off someone that they trusted. And so what was really interesting to me during really the the throes of the, the March crisis was trying to think about all the different angles by which we could make information available to advisors in a way that they wanted to digest it. So that meant proactively reaching out to some advisors that we knew would want the proactive outreach. It meant creating long-form articles on our blog that advisors could read in their own time. It meant setting up calls. It even meant for uh, a select group of advisors who really, I knew, appreciated the deep intricacies uh, and market dynamics. We actually, for a short amount of time, set up a special mailing list where every Friday afternoon, I would do a recap into what I was seeing in the markets, the unique dynamics that were unfolding within market plumbing so that they could keep up to date intellectually while they were dealing with everything else in the business. And so for us, it really wasn't a case of there was one simple answer as to how advisors reacted. Every advisor client of ours has their own unique business, their own unique personality, their own unique way in which they want to interact with us. And March 2020 really highlighted for us the need to have a dynamic approach to being able to communicate in the means that those advisors would best react. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think, you know, this year more than ever, we've, I mean, of course, we're always, we thought we have always been in a relationship business, but what people are doing this year, I think is cementing the ability to have long-term relationships. So, you know, as we're talking today, the markets have recouped all of their earlier losses and we're near highs or at highs. 
And certainly a lot of lessons have been learned from what happened. I did move beyond the front page or the home page of your website, by the way, and, and kind of looked at all of the stuff that you had out there. And I appreciated the very candid way that you discussed the first quarter performance to, as you put it, clients and friends. You talked about what worked, what didn't work, the lessons learned, and going forward. In terms of lessons learned and going forward, I'm wondering if the impact of the market decline and the continuing pandemic has caused Newfound to implement any changes in your service or relationship model with advisor clients. Absolutely. I think our thinking at the beginning of those changes was that they were temporary. I think like a lot of firms, uh, we had adopted a more traditional support model, which included a lot of physical time with our clients, either our external advisor support team being on the road or myself as a portfolio manager meeting with ad advisors. And, and that face-to-face -face interaction being a very important part of building a relationship. Certainly, that has been something that has uh, diminished this year, outright really eliminated. And I think our approach in March and April was that it was likely something that would be coming back as we sort of got came to grips with what the long-term ramifications of this pandemic were likely to be, we realized that that model was no longer going to work. And so what it meant was trying to not necessarily replace, but figure out ways in which we could repurpose um, those types of interactions, uh, introducing things like Zoom and webinars and things like digital client cocktails, um, those sort of events that could recreate a little bit of both the social and academic interaction that we would have with our clients, um, but certainly not necessarily outright replace them. I also think what was really interesting to us was that it was an evolving um, and somewhat experimental approach to creating that new communication. Out of the gate, I think we were very, very early in doing things like happy hours. And what we found was those types of events were quickly adopted and, and I would argue saturated by the industry. And suddenly I myself was getting invites every week to dozens and dozens of happy hours. And so it no longer became a differentiator, no longer an easy way to stand out from the crowd. I also noticed with advisors, there became a presumption that everyone would use Zoom and use uh, video conferencing. And I have noticed a large degree of Zoom fatigue with our clients. And so even something as simple as asking, do you want to do a Zoom or do you want to do a, a video conference or do you want to do a call has made some of it somewhat of a difference. So again, going back to the points I made earlier, trying to have empathy for the advisor situation and be able to communicate in the means by which they want to communicate has been something that has uh, we've really tried to focus on in our evolution in client services. I, you know, what you explained there, Corey, I, I was I was realizing I kind of went through that same cycle myself where the other day uh, somebody reached out and she said, is this going to be a video call or not? And I said, not if you don't want it to be. And she didn't. And I just remember how good that felt, knowing that I didn't have to get on 
on another video call. Uh, even though I think there's a lot of benefits to them, there is that fatigue. And so I'm glad that these podcasts are audio only. So consistently over the last decade, advisors have been telling us that they move to an external money manager to free up time, but also to gain the advantage of institutional style due diligence and a consistent investment and portfolio management process. I'm wondering, as you onboard new advisor clients, what they tell you is the reason that they're choosing to let go of some or perhaps all of the investment management functions that they had previously kept in-house. What we found in our dialogues with advisors is there's a couple of primary reasons for which they're doing this. Some of it is simply business related, that they recognize the time spent for them is best spent in client servicing and financial planning. And I, and I do find that this is somewhat of a age-based, demographic-based schism within the industry that uh, an older generation of advisors still tends to cling on a little bit more to the investment management side of their business and their value add and value proposition to their clients in that. I do find that for a younger demographic of advisors, they tend to focus more heavily on financial planning and investment management is really a means to an end. So in many ways, they're able to use outsource investment management as a way to free up time and gain scale within their business because it's not a core value proposition to what they do. As it relates specifically to what we do here at Newfound, a lot of the dialogue is simply around finding an expert who can access and implement investment strategies that really aren't possible at the level of the financial advisor. So for example, our investment mandates can incorporate things not only like equities and ETFs in a very tactical manner, but also futures contracts and options contracts. And trying to implement those in a way um, for advisors is often from a investment and compliance oversight perspective, nearly impossible. And so being able to delegate those ideas to a third party who's actually able to implement them efficiently certainly allows an advisor to introduce a new source of investment ideas to their portfolio. So I think obviously there's there's a, a large number of different reasons why advisors would choose to outsource, but I do see that that business proposition aspect of it is probably the one we see the most. Um, and we even start to see it in the older demographic of advisors as they start to think about potentially selling their business and recognizing that in moving to a more uniform book, whereby their clients have a more consistent set of allocations, it allows them to have far more consistent uh, conversations with their clients because the clients all have performance that's more highly correlated. And it allows them to potentially monetize their book of business because whoever is buying that book isn't now dealing with hundreds of different funds and investments, but it's a much more uniform set of portfolios that they can integrate into their practice more easily. Yeah, I, I have heard that a lot with the, the 50-something, 60-something advisors over the years. And over the life of our survey, we've, we've seen some dramatic changes in the level of investment activities that are being outsourced by advisors. In 2010, 
50% of those advisors that utilized external managers tended to outsource all of the activities versus just 12% today. I'm wondering if you're seeing more of a hybrid approach being employed by advisors in their use of external management with you. I certainly find that this tends to be something that is in my experience, and I can only speak to my experience, is largely driven by the scale of the advisory firm. And there tends to be a point where uh, an advisory firm is so small that leveraging outsource management, both in the investments, as well as potentially outsourcing things like quarterly commentaries, really more comprehensive OCIO services can make a lot of sense. As the firm's tend to get bigger, they tend to also have more internal expertise. They tend to have a CIO. Uh, they have experts at trading in-house. And as they start to eclipse that billion-dollar mark, it, they are capable of bringing much more in-house and hopefully in doing so are able to reduce costs for their clients without necessarily losing expertise. So I certainly have seen that, at least in my experience, as a feature of sort of the, the growth of an advisor's business, that when they need to outsource and achieve scale, they tend to do it. And as, as they grow and are able to bring some of those ideas in-house in a way that can be unique to their culture, as well as a way that they can potentially better serve their clients, they'll do so. You know, I'm wondering, is there one trend that you've seen your advisor's clients leaning into since the start of the pandemic? There really hasn't been a single trend yet. I will say a lot of the dialogue post-pandemic, so obviously March, a lot of the concern was around the actual pandemic itself. As things settled down in July, and I think as Fed narrative and commentary became more concrete about what was going to happen with interest rates over the next several years, the emerging trend of dialogue that we've had has been predominantly around the role of fixed income in the portfolio. And this has sort of come up in two places. One, as a post-March 2020 shock around the discrepancy of performance of fixed income mutual funds versus fixed income ETFs, and a question as to whether those ETFs behaved as expected or not. And so that's a continuing education question and market structure question. But more from a planning perspective, advisors are now really concerned about the role of bonds within a portfolio in a lower for longer interest rate world. When your core fixed income, uh, 10-year U.S. treasuries are only yielding 70 basis points, and your advisor fee is 1%, and so you have a negative return after fee even before inflation, it starts to make the financial planning that much more difficult. And so I'm seeing advisors starting to turn to different alternative investments. Um, obviously, a large rise in structured products, both in um, the traditional form as well as these new uh, sort of pseudo-structured product ETFs that are coming to market, a lot more interest and dialogue about them. I haven't seen a true shift in investment behavior yet, but certainly it seems like that's a problem that's a, that's continued to be at the forefront of the minds of many advisors that we talk to. 
thing. I, I'm hearing from a lot of people, a lot of advisors, you know, it's just concern about, so, so we're at a high now, which is great. It feels good. But I think everybody uh, is expecting some volatility. We're approaching a uh, very uh, contentious U.S. presidential election. People seem to be concerned about what the, you know, the COVID and, and how long it's going to last, especially as we enter kind of the traditional regular flu season and um, concerns also that the equity markets might be overvalued. How are you helping advisor clients manage these concerns with their clients? What can advisors do best to help keep emotional investing at bay should we enter a phase of volatility with all of these things going on? Well, we, we obviously are biased here in the fact that we run mandates that ideally are, are specifically designed for these sorts of scenarios. But if we take a step back from that and try to take a more objective view, what we've really tried to help work with our advisor clients on is recognizing how they're communicating their value proposition to their clients and what that ultimately means in terms of getting caught up in all this short-term noise. If an advisor is saying to their client, my ultimate value proposition to you is to help keep you on plan. And your plan requires this sort of investment process that we're going to put in place over the next 20 years so that you can retire. Or you're in retirement today and this is your plan and all we have to do is stick with it. And we think there's a high degree of certainty that you're going to be able to continue to live the life that you want to live. Then the ultimate goal for us is to help them. I don't want to say, uh, ha you know, avoid the discussion of the short term, but try to keep the client focused on the long term, help remind them that there's always market noise, that there's every year there's a concern as to something that may take the market down. And it is inevitable that the market will see pullbacks from time to time. That is a feature of the market, not a bug. And so what we need to do is help advisors uh, communicate that. And so what we can do as an asset manager is provide them with the historical evidence and the research that suggests, yes, despite the way you're feeling today that the world maybe is worse than it was, or that there's all these externalities that perhaps are causing more risk in the market, think back to what things were like in 2015 or 2011 or 2010. Was the world really all that different necessarily than what you're feeling today? And can you try to detach your emotions from your investments and remain objective? And so again, while so much of my personal effort is focused on the research and the implementation of quantitative portfolio strategies, I see a huge part of my role as communication, communication, not only of the ideas in which we implement, but in service to our advisor clients and helping them better communicate to their clients. And ultimately recognizing that in that chain of communication, uh, there's going to be drops in the level of expertise and trying to take what we do and what we focus on and we see in the markets and distill it in a way that can be useful to advisors in trying to communicate these things to their clients. So, uh, you know, I really appreciate all of the insights, Corey. Uh, I think you've given everybody that's listening a lot to think about, uh, myself included. And so thank you for joining us today. For our audience, if you'd like to learn more about Newfound Research, please visit thinknewfound.com. 
and if you're interested in the FlexShares research we've uh, mentioned today on the attitudes about and the op- adoption or lack of adoption by advisors of external managers, that research will be live in mid-November. You'll see it on investment news, and you can visit the FlexShares.com website uh, in mid-November to learn more about it and to gain access to some of our older reports. So thank you again for joining us, Corey. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. And thanks to all of our listeners. We really appreciate you and have a uh, great day. Thank you for listening to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.